13 of Adventures in VHS, the podcast dedicated entirely to the lost format of VHS. In each episode, I take a close look at one VHS classic from my collection of ex-rental tapes, looking in detail at its UK VHS release, before moving on to a full and frank review of the film itself. The show supports the upcoming book of the same name, an update on which I'll have for you in just a moment, which is an immersive journey through the forgotten era of VHS video rentals, via the weird and wonderful films that it produced. As you'd expect, in our current multi-platform, multimedia, double-screening, transmedia storytelling environment, Adventures in VHS is a podcast and book that's further supported by a host of other digital platforms. Uh, These include a Facebook page, a Twitter account, an Instagram feed, and so much more. And you can access all of those uh, via adventuresinvhs.com. So, for those of you who are interested, there is now a first draft of the book, um, which uh, by the time this podcast goes out will have been sent uh, to be read by a good friend and fellow podcaster, Mr. Dan Orty of Mondo Movie Fame, who will be uh, will be taking a look at that first draft and giving me some notes. Uh, and there will be a second draft to be written up when he's had a chance to pour over it and let me know what he thinks of it structurally and stuff like that. Um, in terms of publishing, uh, I have actually contacted a few different publishers. Uh, however, I am aware that what I have here is a very niche product, and so I'm not relying entirely on this as an option for putting it out into the world. Um, Adventures in VHS is a book that has what I believe is a very strong proposal, um, which is most certainly aided by this podcast and some of the kind words many of you have had to say about it, but I'm I'm under no illusions about it being picked up. Uh, It is a tough market, so we'll see what comes back. However, I do have something of a backup plan, uh, which I'll be ready to roll out if I don't feel I've been able to secure the right partnership uh, for the book on, on a more traditional publishing level. Um, so watch this space. Um, 
In the meantime, there are loads of things you can do to help me out if you want to. Uh, first off, if you know any publishers or work for, for any publishers, send them my way. Uh, but apart from that, um, likes on adventuresinvhs.com, um, reviews on iTunes, uh, follows on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they all help massively. So um, if you can spare a moment to, to go and do one of those things, that would be absolutely great. Uh, so I'll let you know what happens with that um, as as things go on. Perhaps I'll have some news in the next episode, who knows. Uh, but in the meantime, the Adventures in VHS podcast rages on as I once again ask you to sit back, relax and get ready to adjust your tracking as we take a look at the 1988 Australian chiller, The 13th Floor. <laughs> Episode 13 is a rather special show in that it's the second one for which the featured film has been chosen, not by me, but by the show's listeners. Uh, with an online poll that I ran uh, back at the uh, in about mid-April uh, that offered five different VHS rental choices for people to pick from. For those of you who missed it, I attempted to recreate the video store experience, albeit on a slightly smaller scale, uh, by offering people a selection of tapes to browse on my very own shelves. Uh, there was Rape Revenge in 1986's The Sisterhood, which is also known as The Ladies Club. Uh, there was Action Fantasy in 1985's Wizards of the Lost Kingdom. Uh, there was Bawdy Comedy in 1986's Separate Vacations. War Drama in 1988's Saigon Commandos. And finally supernatural thrills in the 13th floor from that very same year. Now, as you'll have already noticed from the title of this very conveniently numbered show, uh, the film that was most voted for by Adventures in VHS membership card holders, which I promise one day will actually be a real thing that exists, uh, was The 13th Floor, which is an Australian horror with a rather wonderful sleeve. Um, if you do want to check out how the voting broke down and how people voted and by what percentage this movie won, uh, then head to filmrant.co.uk, uh, which you can also find through adventuresinvhs.com, um, and there's a full breakdown on there. Um, but yeah, this, this movie, The 13th Floor, wasn't the only one. Um, as the eagle-eyed among you may have noticed, this particular collection of tapes all had one thing in common. They were all released on the rather wonderful Medusa Home Video which is a highly collectible label among uh, VHS hoarders such as myself, uh, and a label which invested a lot of time and energy in selling its product with beautiful, beautiful sleeves, uh, particularly around the era of this, this particular set of releases that I, that I put up for you to choose from. Now, Medusa was founded by uh, David Hodgins and Stephen Rivers in February of 1982, after the pair had cut their teeth on running various other distribution labels, including VRO, uh, whose releases included prosecuted nasties like Axe and Don't Go in the Woods Alone, um, and Video Independent Productions, which had a catalogue featuring the likes of Contamination and Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue. Um, Medusa weren't averse to a bit of controversy themselves either, uh, as two of their earliest releases, 1981's Madhouse and Absurd, would also end up being prosecuted under the Obscene Publications Act, uh, when highlighted by the Director of Public Prosecution's list of films that were deemed likely to deprave and corrupt. In fact, Absurd was only the second film in the Medusa catalogue behind Alberto Di Martino's violent Eurocrime thriller Blazing Magnum, and both of them had to be put out in two different cuts in an attempt to stay on the right side of the supposed rules of the day. Now, like the last show's featured film, Evil Speak, 
there is actually very little to differentiate between the uncut version of Absurd and the one that came after it, uh, as most of the recalled copies of the film were taped over with the cut version later on. So if you do have an uncut version, it's slightly more collectible than the uh, than the, the second version that came out, obviously. Um, there were other notable releases in those early days for Medusa. These included Exterminators of the Year 3000, uh, which was one of the label's major releases that was being shown off as part of the 1983 video trade show. Uh, but this was later withdrawn at the request of the BBC, BBFC, presumably for uh, its, its violence levels. Um, as well as Mario Barber's A Bay of Blood, which was a film that was announced with an, uh, an example sleeve, but never actually managed to get a release. In terms of sleeve design, as I've kind of already hinted, Medusa is a, a label that really, really led the way. Uh, and was often cheeky enough to, to take a to take a pop at, at some of the big guys as well. Um, as I say, it wasn't independent, but um, it did have big ideas. And in late 1984, Medusa was about to launch the first of a new series of tapes that rather intentionally looked identical to the black-bordered house style of Warner Home Video. Uh, and in the November issue of Video Trade Weekly, it was reported that Warner knew about this and they were not happy. Uh, speaking to the magazine, Warner Home Video Managing Director David Rosala said, Our lawyers are considering the matter and we will act accordingly. We are not very impressed. We've spent years and a lot of time and money creating and perfecting the best house style in the industry. In response to that, Medusa's home video boss uh, Dave Hodgins came back with, there has been no attempt on our part to emulate WHV. We're not interested in Warner designs. We don't like them. Which is a bit strange when you actually have a look at just how close these designs are to that to that Warner House style. Um, however, um, Rosala of Warner Home Video at the time has since that has since come out and said that he and Dave Hodgins were actually quite friendly, and all this was done as as a little bit of fun. Um, they kind of knew that this was Medusa having a gentle pop at the big boys and apparently all the threats about lawyers were just an extension of that fooling around so it's all a bit of a sort of boys club bunch of practical jokes by the sounds of it um, he also said that Medusa were an admirable label that had spent plenty on artwork but very little on the films themselves and he said that ultimately that's probably what led to them disappearing like so many of the other independent labels of the day but it did take a while for the Medusa flame to be completely extinguished and the label did manage to put out some of the most memorable tapes of both the, both the pre and post home video era uh, just to name a few, these tapes include Chud, uh, Maniac Cop, Society, uh, The Video Dead, just, there's many, many, many of these films, and all films that will be burned into the, the memories of, of people who, like me, were, uh, were quite young at the time, and, and, and remember just how vivid and beautiful these, these films are. Um, if you want an example of that, just, just, Take a look online and take a look at some of these sleeves. The Video Dead is one that most people will remember. Check out the cover for Cut and Run. It's beautiful. Um, Devouring Waves, another movie that I've covered on the podcast. Just, the list goes on and on. Um, and very often these tapes had reversible sleeves, um, heavy trail accounts, uh, and and you know films that were quite strange as well. Um, 
often imports from different countries and stuff like that, um, as is the case with the 13th floor, of course. The Medusa also had a couple of side labels, uh, or side projects, if you like, on the go. Uh, one of these was New Dimension, which was a merger between Medusa and Guild, and was responsible for a range of, uh, a short run of tapes, actually, um, but a range that included Master Blaster, Neon Maniacs, and Death Flash. Um, and you could kind of tell that they were related to to, um, to Medusa, again, just because of the quality of the sleeves. And then there were other sort of short-run labels that they set up, which included um, Pegasus Home Video. Um, in 1995, Medusa became Medusa Communications and Marketing, and became known primarily for its Hong Kong Legends label. Uh, it also had the, the full UK distribution rights for both Jackie Chan and Will and Grace, randomly um so was able to kind of carve out a little bit of a, a niche for itself and and continue to sell tapes for quite a long time um and it must have been worth something to somebody because in um in 2005 it was bought out by contender entertainment group or ceg for an estimated fee of around eight million pounds um so yeah that is basically the the history or a short potted history of uh, medusa home video it's a great label. It's uh, it's a great label to collect. It's an absolute joy um, sliding a new Medusa tape um, along its brethren on on that on that particular shelf, and I look forward to collecting many more in the years to come. Um, so yeah, that really just moves us uh, nicely along to the thirteenth floor. Um, it's the movie that you wanted me to cover. It's the movie that I'm going to cover after this short break, and I'll be taking a look at the tape and the trailers. This is the ghost of the King of Comics, Jack Kirby. When I'm not haunting Stan Lee, I'm listening to my favorite comic book podcast, Double Page Spread. Each week, Wendy Freeman talks to creators like Cullen Bunn, Mark Wade, Evan Dorkin, and more. She is one cool dame who knows a lot about comics. So when I'm at my drawn board in heaven cranking out fourth world pages, I'm listening to Double Page Spread. Available on iTunes, Libsyn, and the Stitcher Network. All right, I'm here with Bill Byforce and Mr. Chris to tell you a little bit about Outside the Cinema. All right, Reverend Scott, take us to church. Uh, What can we expect to find from a typical show? Two hours of just random blabber. (laughs) Uh, Is there anyone's coattails you rode in on to popularity? I'm the guy that f***ing burns the coattails and then pisses on them. You review all these exploitation, (laughs) horror, comedy, cult, and often all-around terrible movies. You must have a strong driving force that keeps you going. Ego. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard you say that before. Uh, yeah, I've been saying that for a while. Really? I have been saying that for a while. Also, I'm high on smack. Well, it's definitely working for you guys. <laughs> People are coming out in droves to support you on iTunes. We just the other day got a, a, a one-star review on iTunes. Well, that is one <laughs> That is one star too many. Let me tell you. The worst f***ing piece of shit I've ever heard. This has been great, guys. Thanks, Scott. Ugh. That was good. Oh, he's got you crying over there. I'm good for the rest of the year. Nice. That was too much. All right. Well, here she is, your uh, your vote-winning Adventures in VHS movie. Uh, this is the 13th floor. Um, so, obviously, this is on Medusa Home Video, and the version that I hold in my hands is, of course, as always, the, the, the big box X-Rental release. Um, you can tell from that straight away because it's still got the uh, it's still got the sticker on the front that says this film is two pound every night. 
Um, and yeah, just to look at the cover, which some of you will have seen on the uh, on the blog already. Uh, but the cover basically it's not as quite it's not quite as elaborate a cover as you would expect from Medusa. Um, I'm trying to look at it now in in a bit more detail. It is. It does appear to be kind of a, a hand-painted number. It is actually quite beautiful when you get up close. I think from a distance you could be sort of, you could be fooled into thinking that the main image is in fact a, a photograph, but I think it's a painting. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway, it's a um, uh, it's a big. A beautiful picture that's got kind of a, a white framed border around it. Um, across the top, you've got the uh, the tagline, um, which is "Pray you never reach." Dot dot dot, uh, referring of course to the title, which is across the bottom, the thirteenth floor. Um, and the image itself is of a young woman um, who has clearly just arrived on the thirteenth floor. Um, uh, unfortunately for her, probably I'm assuming um, you got her kind of emerging from a lift uh, with a big blue glow around her um, and electricity shooting out of her eyeballs, and she looks sort of zombified and um, is approaching you. Let's say uh, one thing that I I've had this tape probably for about four or five months uh, and the only th I think just this second just as I picked it up to do to do this uh, this little commentary I noticed that the uh, the light for the uh, for the floor number 13 is just above her head as well which is a nice little touch so as I say the main image is absolutely beautiful um, again as you would expect from Medusa um, so outside of that white border um, we've got the Medusa Home Video logo across the bottom, uh, the 18 rating uh, on the other side of that, uh, Premier Film Marketing in association with Medusa Communications Limited present the 13th floor, a David Hannay production, and then the usual credits underneath that. Just turning to the side, um, the classic Medusa Home Video logo across the top, uh, the image from the front on that's beneath that, uh, the 13th floor in black font down the side, the Medusa holographic sticker, which you should should always have on your Medusa home videotapes, folks, uh, because if you haven't, it could be a fake. Um, and then uh, the message that it's in Hi-Fi, and again the BBFC rating, and then the um, then the uh, the catalogue number underneath that. The catalogue number for this is M O one four two, but uh, conveniently somebody has stuck their own sort of cataloguing sticker over the top of it two zero three three. Uh, I would assume it's the same people that were renting this film out for £2 per night. Um, just turning over to the back, the 13th floor, we've got four images. We've got a woman in a lift looking terrified, um, a woman on the phone looking terrified, a woman at the top of the stairs looking terrified, um, and then somebody being electrocuted, I think. Um, and then in the middle, there's kind of the uh, the actual version of the image from the front, which is the... Uh, the lady with the uh, the electricity shooting out of her eyeballs. I'm guessing at this point that that's probably like the climax of the movie, and you're not going to see anything else in that apart from uh, you know for the last last 20 minutes or something. Anyway, um, so just to read you the blurb to give you a flavour of the of the movie, if you haven't read that blurb already that that was on the uh, on the site when I put up the voting list. Um, a dark and terrible secret lurks on the 13th floor of a plush city office block where a supernatural curse has brought disaster to anyone who rents it. A mysterious presence, in single commas, uh, single quotes, 
has driven businesses to ruin, made office machinery break down, and created a deadly life force of its own in the electrical system. The tortured soul of an innocent boy who was cruelly murdered many years before is laying in wait for the moment of revenge. Is it fate that has drawn the murderer's runaway daughter to the possessed building? Has she become the sinister power's final weapon of atonement in a series of gruesome murders? What happens on the 13th floor is more than just superstition, more than just ritualistic murder. The past has returned to shatter the present as the vengeful spirit manifests itself with terrifying results. Um, beneath that, we are informed it's a movie house sales company presentation. Not too sure what that means. Um, and then we have the running time, which is of 86 minutes, which is great news. I love a movie that's less than 90. Um, and then beneath that, of course, there's the uh, the usual information, the uh, Medusa Home Video logo, uh, copyright in information, and um, the 18 rating. Um, interestingly, underneath that, right across the bottom, manufactured and distributed by CBS Fox Video London. Um and then when we pop open the box, we see that one thing that all Medusa video collectors want to see, and that's an embossed logo on the inside with the old school Medusa logo on there. Nothing wrong with the new logo, but let's face it, the old one is just that little bit cooler. Uh, looking at the tape, it's a regular um, black tape uh, on Maxell stock um, with a white tape flap across the top. Uh, white 13th floor logo with the Medusa Home Video logo on there and the uh, running time etc. And a note on there um, which says important please rewind tape. Um, it also has on the side, and I don't know if that's worth worth noticing or not, but I'm going to, um, aside from the uh, Medusa holographic sticker, um, it also has S. Woodward Video Exchange. I have a number of tapes that have that S. Woodward Video Exchange written on the side, um, so I, I should probably find out who that is or where that is or why I've got so many of those tapes. doesn't strike me as an old rental store. I don't know. I don't know. I may or may not look into it. Anyway. That is the tape itself. Uh, let's pop it in and take a look at the trailers. Okay, of course then, this is obviously the old school Medusa home video logo, which is a beautiful thing. And the checkered copyright, um, the checkered copyright warning. Uh, which isn't a problem for us because, of course, our Medusa tape has the uh, holographic logos on the side, so no worries there. We're, we're, uh, we've got no worries about piracy. We're covered. We're covered. And then there's the Medusa preview logo, and let's see what we've got. This is Max. Okay, that's Max, and he's just been crushed by a giant penis. Literally. He has a wife who's trying to kill him. Okay, his wife is trying to kill him. She tried to kill him with a giant penis while he was on stage. Now she's trying to electrocute him. And she is apparently Pamela Stevenson. And then he realizes... Someone is trying to kill me. I did love you once. I truly did when you were kind and good before you became... Okay, yeah, this is Pamela Stevenson, and she's trying to kill her husband, who looks kind of familiar, but... Okay, this is an Australian movie, um, so the main guy in it looks like an Australian version of Richard Jenkins. 
Pamela Stevenson is at her peak. Uh, she's beautiful. It's the kind of funeral. It's a wacky spirit. Oh, okay, he's come back from the dead. To say. The day is coming. What day? When you will be with me. And resourceful as ever. Marilyn has her own way of dealing with those awkward Okay, this looks really wacky. Um, How personal. Let's take off all his clothes except for a sequin jockstrap, a pair of clippers and a snorkel. Then he gets Richard and I to whip him with a couple of wet cabbage leaves. Richard, however, can't decide what to do for the best. Okay, it's a really wacky supernatural comedy, which feels like a British film in the, in the vein of a sort of fish called wonder. Um, but there's a supernatural element. Pamela Stevenson's trying to kill her husband. I think he's come back from the dead. And there are other, there are other ghosts in it as well, by the looks of it. Those dear departed. Those dear departed. Well, um, yeah, a zany comedy from Medusa. I'd check it out, fuck it. What's next? By fate, two men are born on the same day. Okay. By destiny, they die at the same moment. Okay. Oh, hang on a minute. I've seen this. By a supernatural this is Retribution. I'll let you listen to the trailer because this is a movie that will be covered in the box, so I won't give away too much. One evil. that your patient is possessed by whom it is a time for fear it is a time for terror it is a time for retribution it is a time for retribution I thought it might be Retribution. The time is now. The time is now for retribution. Uh, the time will be when the book comes out because you'll get to read about my thoughts on it there. But I will say that I enjoyed it. The small, quiet town of Canyonland. Okay, it's Nightmare. From the rest of the world in Nightmare at noon. At noon. Okay. Oh, that's Sam Wingshauser. I love Wingshauser. Yeah, I, I will see this. What is this? Gotta love Wingshauser. Right, this is an action movie with Wingshauser. It's like a. Is it just straight up action? It looked like there was some sci fi going on at the beginning there, but I'm not entirely sure. Uh, there's flamethrowers, there's Wingshauser. There's bullets, there's lasers, there's Wingshauser, Wingshauser, George Kennedy, Josh Kennedy, and Wingshauser, and some more explosions. CIA would not be doing this. An attractive lady. They've got Central America for that. But this nightmare has only just begun. Oh yeah, that guy that yeah. Somebody tell the guy rules. from Blade Runner, uh, the guy who's the um, yeah, one of the bad guys. Anyway, that's Nightmare at Noon, and if it's on Medusa and it's got Wingshauser in it, then I'll be buying it. Nine. 
from the mind of Robert England. Seven Six Evil. Right. Okay. A big red nine came up on the screen, and it was then revealed that this is a movie directed by Robert England. So, yes, of course, it's Nine Seven Six Evil. Again, a movie you may find out more about in the book. So, I won't say too much about it. I'll leave you once again to check out the trailer. In fact. Souls of the innocent. Someday soon, you're going to be down here and I'm going to spit on you. A real man has the nerves to take what he deserves. Some say it's a warning from God. A warning about what? Are you ready? I'm ready. Take it. Sounds like him narrating that as well. Um, anymore? Ooh, this looks fab. What's this? This is definitely a sci-fi. Oh, what the fuck? Right, there's a guy in green who's super fast. Uh, he looks a little bit like Howling Mad Murdoch, but he's like a weird goblin superhero thing. Super fast guy in a green goblin outfit. The Wizard of Speed and Time. This looks. What the hell is going on? This is like. I feel like I'm tripping. He can assemble a movie camera. He can. What is going on? Right. You have to see this trailer to. This is beyond. Description. Um, this film can't be as crazy as this trailer makes it look. So he can run super fast, like the Flash. Uh, he dresses like a shit version of the Green Goblin. Um, this looks amazing, honestly. I'm not even kidding yet. You need to find this on YouTube. China into space, leapt onto uh, a NASA space shuttle, jumped around it, and then jumped back to Earth. My mind has been blown. Movie by Mike Jutlov. I have to find that film. Okay, the titles have come up for the next movie, and it's Ghost Chase, which I remember being a movie that crept out into the world shortly after Ghostbusters, and always seemed to me like it would probably be a rip-off. Um, it doesn't look like too much of a rip-off, but... Big break in Hollywood. But someone is interested in their friend from the past who holds the key to their fortune. Ghostly version of like weird science or something. It's already got a great score, so. Oh, I remember that little green guy. I, I remember. I think I've seen this. 
friend who is about nice. to take them, if their spirits are willing, on a wild ghost chase. Okay, so imagine, if you will, a cross between Ghostbusters, they even have a hearse like the Ghostbusters now, um, and E.T. and Weird Science and the Monster Squad. It's somewhere in that. It's like a combination of all those things, so, yeah. Funnily enough, I think I actually... I'm pretty sure I found a copy of this the other day and placed a bid on it. Let's have a quick look. Just enjoy the music. ghost of a chance, but they're going to have the time of their lives. Ghost Chase. Yeah, I uh, I bought this the other day, so um, watch this space. It looks like a lot of fun. Okay, and that's the BBFC um, title card for the 13th floor, so that was our trailers, brilliant as ever from Medusa. And this is the 13th floor. I'm going to watch the movie right now with a glass of wine and some crisps. And uh, after this break, you'll get to hear my thoughts on it. So it's a great concept, a skyscraper with a haunted 13th floor which has a terrifying history and is a lethal place for unsuspecting visitors. In fact, between the cover and the blurb, I think it's fair to say we've been given a pretty clear and juicy mental picture of the wonderful content we can expect when the spools roll on this particular film. Uh, after all, those who uh, those were the two selling points which helped inform you, the shelf browser, to make your renting decision when you visited the uh, the voting page on filmrant.co.uk. Little did you know, though, when you uh, branded your Adventures in VHS membership card, made your selection, that you'd actually be learning a very important lesson about renting tapes, uh, which is a hard lesson, uh, but one that many of us had to learn. Um, back in those heady days when we were choosing movies based solely on their covers. Um, And that lesson really is that what lies within is often very different to what you may have in your head. I'm afraid it's a rather dirty business. That's right, it certainly is. But let's not kill the mood too quickly. In fact, let's give the 13th floor a fair crack of the whip before we write it off not being the film we imagined it might be. For the most part, the plot is relatively as advertised. The opening scene is set on the site of an under-construction building where a corporate baddie has pulled up with his daughter in tow uh, to torture a guy who apparently owes him some money. Unfortunately for the guy, this ruthless executive will do anything to uh, to teach deck dodgers a lesson, and this includes grabbing hold of his young son, um, who is is there with him and throwing him into an electrical box uh, where he's killed instantly. Uh, unbeknownst to this corporate baddie, his young daughter has followed him from the car and is peeking on from the distance and, and looks on screaming as the boy is frazzled. It's not really explained who the corporate baddie is, uh, what he does or why he had his daughter with him at this ridiculous hour. Um, 
it doesn't really explain who the guy is and, who, and why his son was also wandering around the building site in his pajamas. Uh, but it doesn't matter. It's a it's a brutal and violent opener, which kind of sets out a quite promising stall, really. Anyway, so we flash forward about 10 years and the little girl named Heather has grown up into what looks like a badly drawn Scarlett Johansson dressed in an early 1980s Madonna fancy dress. We find out she's grown to resent her rich and murderous dad and has run away with a bunch of documents which somehow prove his nefarious activities. Heather has a friend in tow, played by Lord of the Rings star Miranda Otto, and it transpires that both of them are trying to quit heroin. What do you think you're doing? I thought we'd agreed. I know. I just needed some. So you're still up here. There's enough for you too, if you want some. Don't you want to float for a while? Do you always have to be so weak? I mean, you know that stuff does you no good. So it's been established that these two are damaged goods and it's been established that they are on the run. What isn't established is why they've decided to go to the 13th floor of the building where the tragic killing happened all those years ago. Um, It's not entirely clear as to whether or not they know that that's the building where this stuff happened. Um, But that's something which the blurb on the back of the tape seems a little unsure about too as well when it asks... Is it fate that has drawn the murderer's runaway daughter to this possessed building? Has she become the sinister power's final weapon of atonement in a series of gruesome murders? And if you're hoping for an answer by the end of the movie, well, don't hold your breath. Um, But before we get there, let's get back to the story in hand. Um, The pair, who are now accompanied by a male friend of theirs, who happens to be the caretaker's assistant, conveniently, um, have bedded down on the empty 13th floor, which sits above a social security office. They only find this out, though, while on an evening mission to steal biscuits from one of the bean counters who sits downstairs, who is kind enough to let them know that this building isn't a dress shop. Now, this isn't a dress shop, miss. We perform a specific function. Luckily, there's another guy who works there who's a bit more friendly. So friendly, in fact, that after knowing Heather for less than a day, offers to commit massive fraud for for absolutely no reason other than he wants to get inside her ripped, stonewashed jeans. What are you doing for money up there? John, I told you I don't want to talk about it. No, I'm serious. Do you get the doll or what? Why? Because if you're dead set about staying hidden, then I'm your man. Mr. Social Security. (laughs) I can change your name on the computer. You can get the doll under any name you want. No one will ever be able to trace you. Do you realise that's illegal? (laughs) Yeah, highly. The way you tell it, my life could do with some excitement. But while these two potential lovebirds are out walking and drinking Southern Comfort straight from the bottle, we learn that Heather's dad is hot on her trail, or more specifically, uh, on the trail of the documents that she's stolen from him. And he's hired a badass private detective. Are you a cop or what? Private investigator. A dick. Well, yeah, he's a a total dick, to be fair. And this guy is already snooping around the building, having somehow figured out that that's where she will be. I don't know how he knows this, uh, or even if it is suggested by the film, as quite frankly, we were 40 minutes in, and I was still waiting for something, anything, to suggest that this movie was anything other than a kind of dull teen drama. Um, If it was covered off, I apologise. It's entirely possible that I drifted off. Shut up! Yes, 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 I'm listening. So, 
Luckily, there's a bit of comic relief that arrives in the form of the head caretaker, who's sort of like a fat Australian version of Deputy Dewey from the Scream movies, and he has an arsenal of guns, knives, booze, and pawn in his quarters, uh, along with a glorious poster for Schwarzenegger's Raw Deal, just to brighten the place up. Um, and this collection of guns and knives, it really seems like, you know, when you when you get to see the sort of arsenal that he's got there, you kind of figure, oh, well, this will come back later and there'll be guns blazing and everything. No, not really. So, um, yeah, but this guy is also keen to get into Heather's ripped stonewashed jeans, and when he has no luck, he makes the obvious assumption that we've all made at one time or another in our lives. The bloody dog! Clearly a lesbian. So, by this point, it's becoming pretty clear that we're going to have to wait if we want to see any kind of elaborate supernatural activity or violent death. Uh, there is a glimmer of hope, however, around the 50-minute mark, though, when um, Heather is rescued from the pursuing badass private dick uh, by the child of... Uh, so, sorry, by the ghost of the child who was murdered at the start. Uh, the child sort of shows up in the bathroom at one point, and then you see something zap a chunk out of the, the, the private investigator's leg, and then he gets dropped down a lift shaft. Um... So things pick up for a minute. You get a little bit of a, a you get a little bit of a rush of blood to the head because somebody's actually been killed in a gruesome way. Um, meanwhile, uh, just to slow things down a little bit, the uh, the potential love struck benefits fraud hero um, is is struggling to hack into the Australian social security system. Uh, luckily, help is at hand. His nerdy colleague, the uh, the bean counter, has left a copy of the Amiga DOS manual lying around. Now. Obviously, the Amiga DOS manual would have all the answers he needs to hack into the Australian social security system. So he does, and he changes Heather's name, and he puts a load of money her way, no doubt. And so impressed with her work uh, is Heather, who has previously shown no interest in him romantically whatsoever, that she just decides she must immediately have sex with him. Which, again, feels like a moment where you're like, all right, well, at least we'll get some some um, some sordid 80s sex. Um and things look good for a minute. Cue the sort of classic 80s stocking roll-down shot. Um, but, you know, doesn't really go much further than that. Absolutely no boobs to look at. Poor show. So, unfortunately, this romantic interlude sort of breaks up a point in the narrative where it feels like it might may have started to pick up a bit of speed. So, yeah, things massively slow down again for probably a, a good 20 minutes. And once again, we get back into establishing the rather drab plot. There's a file. Please, I don't know what you're talking about. Where? Oh, no. No, don't burn me. About the most exciting thing that happens around this time is the death of Miranda Otto's junkie character from an overdose. Um, though the supporting cast seem only mildly bothered about it and there seems to be absolutely no reason for it to have happened or, indeed, absolutely no reason for her to have been in the story at all. What do you want from me? Well, a little emotion might be nice, or maybe some bloody action. Anyway, as I'm so sure you can tell, by the time the 13th floor limped to its final 10 minutes or so, I'd become a bit frustrated with it. Uh, aside from a quick flash of genius in the ever-so-slightly goblin-esque score... really isn't that much to get attached to um, and overall the 13th floor ends up being a little bit of a letdown 
98% of it is focused on establishing the lead character and her backstory. Very, very, very little attention given to the idea of the of the film as a sort of haunted location. Um, and unfortunately, therein lies your VHS rental lesson. If I had a pound for every time we rented a tape back in those days and ended up watching something that had been hopelessly misrepresented by the sleeve, well, I'd have enough to cover my late fees for a whole year. As predicted, the scene from the cover art is kind of the climax. Um, so it's not like the film has been sold on a complete lie. It's just it's just a shame that more time wasn't given to the main concept of the film because it is an interesting idea. I like the idea of a haunted thirteenth floor. I like the fact that something evil is is living on the floor of a you know a very stale sort of office block. It's it's an interesting idea, but they just don't flesh it out in the way that they should, and they focus on the quite a quite a dull sort of character arc instead um so to paraphrase the tagline pray you never watch the 13th floor was adventures in vhs episode 13 the 13th floor uh if you'd like to support the show as i say there are tons of ways you can do it so just pick one or more that works for you uh tell your friends and followers to listen share the link to the shows as, as they go out um or you can follow adventures in vhs on facebook twitter instagram and more um or check out my own blog film rant uh links for all of these things can be found uh, by visiting adventuresinvhs.com um, and that's where you will also find my email address if you want to get in touch and leave some feedback for the show which would be most welcome uh, and finally and, and possibly most importantly if you can leave me a review on iTunes these are really really a helpful way for me to reach new listeners and, and sort of promote the podcast so if you haven't done so already please please spare just a few seconds to, to say something nice for me over there that would be grand um, so that's it that's the show for this time I'll be back with a brand new episode at the start of June so look out for that uh, but until then ta-ra Blood.